I want other women to know that you can be so broken, but you can still have peace in your heart and you can still overcome the life's struggles, no matter what they are. This is not your mother's middle age. No longer is waking up each day, living the wash, rinse, and repeat cycle acceptable. We have the life lessons, the relationships, the wins, and the losses with which to navigate to our highest self without hesitation and without fear leading the way. We have been there and done that, and so we have so much to offer the world and each other. So join me on this journey speaking to ordinary women doing extraordinary things for new insights, new ideas, new medical breakthroughs, and new life lessons. You will be inspired to find your best life here and now. My name is Wendy Charles McGuire, and this is your Second Wind Podcast. Today on Second Wind, the podcast, we have a wonderful woman that I've gotten to know pretty well over the last couple of months of doing this podcast. She is actually the manager of executive office suites where my friend Youssef Messiah has his office that he lets me use to record these podcasts. And let me tell you a little bit about Janice Lillard. She's a mom of three, a grandmother of seven, and she found her second wind through a series of life events and journeys some missteps, and everything kind of brought her full circle to where she is now. She has some great life lessons that she's learned along the way. And how she came to this second win moment is scary and will make the hair stand up on the back of your neck to think that anyone could be in that situation and how she pulled through. So without further ado, welcome, Janice. Hi, Wendy. I'm so excited that you want to do my story. I know in our little conversations, I never knew as I was sharing things with you that you did this. And so it's an honor to be able to to share it with you. And I just pray that, you know, that it will help someone else to get through struggles. It will. Yeah. You didn't realize I was going to hijack your story, did you? (laughs) No, I did not. All right. Well, let's start with your second win moment. Can you set the stage for us? I think that's really important. I was shocked when you told me this story. Well, my big aha moment when you asked me that, you know, it was just like everything that I had been through kind of run through my mind. And it's when your question made me really realize that on January 3rd of 2020, I was driving in Tennessee where I lived at the time on the big country, windy roads, and it was pouring down rain. And I happened to be driving my ex-fiance's truck, which is a big jacked up truck that I never usually drive. I, you know, had only drove it a couple of times, but anyways, I started hydroplaning and I started sliding off on a big, big ravine in the middle of a curve. And I just knew that if I could get my tires on the street, that I would be able to pull out of it. And as soon as I kind of gunned the truck, it slung shot me into a massively huge tree. And as soon as I, I mean, there was no stopping it. I tried and the gas pedal caught my foot. Needless to say, I hit the big tree. I was slung up and backwards into other trees. 
and I was slung out the back windshield of the vehicle. And to answer everybody's question, no, I did not have my seatbelt on. And I am one of those exceptions that if I had have had my seatbelt on, the engine would have cut me into or beheaded me is what the EMTs say. So it was a blessing that I was thrown through the back windshield. But through that, my foot was completely broken half and torn open. My hip, my femur, a lot of leg things were crushed and dislocated. I had 12 ribs that were broken. I had my liver, my spleen, my kidney was all lacerated. I had multiple, multiple bruising and torn ligaments and tears and that kind of thing from the impact. And I landed in the bed of the truck against the bed of it hanging in down into a ravine. Now, praise God that I was in and out through this process, was knocked out and then woke up in the back of the truck. When I opened my eyes and I couldn't breathe and I was looking at everything and nothing had color. Everything was black and white. And I just remember thinking, oh, dear God, you know, please don't leave me. I just kept saying over and over, you know, please, God, please let me breathe. Please let me breathe. And I'm going to be honest about the seventh time in my mind that I'm sitting here just going, please, God, please, because I could not breathe. And I knew I was bad hurt. About the seventh time I said that I was able to take a very small breath. And when I did, all the color, everything, all the trees started turning green and the browns and I could see color again. I was able then to kind of move my head and look and I could see that my foot was completely backwards and there was bones that were trying to come out of my pants and I could see this collar of a car through the trees and I just remembered thinking, please don't let me stay here. Please don't leave me here for hours, Lord. Please let somebody find me because I was down in a ravine on a back road up in the hills of Tennessee. And it was raining. And, and what time unless, of day was this? Oh, this was in the afternoon. Okay. I want to say it was like two or three o'clock maybe. And it was pouring down rain. And all of a sudden I heard somebody hollering and he come around down and around and he looked into the bed of the truck and he was like, oh baby, just hang on. I'm going to get you some help. And then I told him, you know, hey, please get in touch with, you know, my fiance at the time. And, you know, and he's like, I'll get them, I'll get them. And the next thing you know, there was people come out of the woodwork. I mean, literally, this lady just shows up and she knows my name. And she's like, hey, Janice, hey, and starts talking to me, trying to keep me away, gets a coat and puts it under my head. There was, I had no idea who she was because it took you know, the ambulance and everybody time to get there, but they had heard it on the scanner and they knew who I was. They knew who it was. And so she come flying down there to help. And so did many other people. And I was in and out. I would pass out from the pain because if I tried to move my body in any kind of way, it was um, the most un undescribable. I really can't describe the kind of pain that it was. And so it took them an hour. By the time the ambulance, it took them an hour to get me on a board, to strap me down onto the board, to get me out of the ditch. It took eight men lifting me and climbing this hill oh to God. get me out. And I still praise God for them every day. I prayed God for the, one of them had to get in the back when they had to move me. And 
he was holding me so I would not fall out when they had to open up the tailgate oh, or yeah, I would have fell sure. out in yeah because I'm hanging You're down hanging. in this ravine and so he holds me and I remember the raindrops just falling on my face I just remembered saying over and over that I can't breathe because I, I was so hard to breathe and I hurt so bad. I would just pass back out and I would wake back up and I would pass back out. And I remember them saying, are your legs falling asleep? And they were talking to the guy who was holding me. And I remembered looking up going, please don't let go. Please don't let go. Oh he goes, God. baby girl, my legs fall off before, you, before I let you go, you know, and ended up being somebody I knew, a, a good friend of mine's husband who actually worked for the fire department that just happened to be off duty at home who come out there. Uh, so it was just like, you know, I just, I couldn't believe it. So needless to say, after, you know, I think it was seven, eight, eight hours of surgeries and all the first 48 hours, because they didn't know how bad the lacerations were to the kidney and, you know, to the areas and stuff. They didn't know if I would make it. And so a lot of that is a big blur to me, but people will tell me that I talked to people, told them what was happening, what the doctors told me, everything. But I don't remember any of that. I remember talking to my son on the phone and, and they said, I told him everything the doctors had told me. And, but I don't remember the conversation. I don't remember lots of that. And I, I kind of thank God for that because the moments while I was awake was pretty bad. And I think it was probably about five days before I started truly where they took me, started declining the medication to keep where I could actually have conversations and started declining to where I could get back to where I could get home. And, and so for the first little while, I was still in a wow this really happened to me. But I also realized that it happened for a reason. I drove those roads every day, every day, two, three, sometimes four or five times a day, going to town, you know. So to know it happened for a reason. And during that time, uh, during this time, my fiance at the time, now grant you, he took good care of me. Physically, he took great care of me. You came and home and you were, you couldn't walk. You couldn't really do anything for yourself. Am I right? Because I mean, you no, almost I died. Was yeah. Because of my foot and the doctors will tell you, this is something that my doctor was full. The surgeon come out and told my family that I did everything that I know possibly medically do. And now it is up to her and God to see where she goes from here. He had told me I was one for the books. Less than 10 years ago, they would have amputated my foot. They would not even try to have saved it. And he didn't know. So I had rods coming out of my leg and my foot and holding my foot together. But I wasn't allowed to stand or put any pressure on that foot. I could stand on my one good leg, but I could not put any pressure on that other foot for three and a half months. Mm -hmm. So all I could do for the first little bit was basically I could sit up in the medical bed. My whole living room was turned into a hospital pretty much. I had a you know, hospital bed, everything was wheelchairs, everything turned into that was my life in the living room for three and a half months. I had to be bathed by my mom, my best friend, uh, which they were wonderful to help me, you know, to help bathe me. And they would, I remember the first time that they got this thing where I could lay my head back and they could wash my hair. You know, you don't realize how much all of those things we take for granted, but I was bedridden for three and a half months. My bandages had to be changed two and three times a day, I think. And, you know, I had like 57 staples from my back all the way down my leg and where my hip had to be. 
taken out and fixed. And I've got like 17 pins and brads and screws and all that hold my hip together. And then I've got, I can't tell you how many I have in the foot, holding the foot together. And you set all, the metal, my, the metal know, detector God, off. My bones right? are. You set the metal detector <laughs> off. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And yes. So, and so I had all of that. This happened for a reason though. Oh, most definitely. At the time I didn't realize what it was, but I had a lot of alone time, even though I had people that would come and check on me. My mom and my dad stayed the first like four or six weeks because all I was able to do was to lean up and pivot on one foot to a potty chair beside my bed and then lay back down. That was all I could do for the first while. And uh, so, so that was really hard because it was excruciating, the pain, even after I was at home and even with pain medication, you know, because there's only so much and then you have to get through that. And, but then my mother had to leave and my dad had to leave and they had to go home and my mom was having knee replacement surgery of all things. And so I had people that would come and check on me and bring me meals. And, and I have so many wonderful people that just reached out in generosity in many, many ways. And, and I had a lot of time to start reflecting on my life on my life's decisions. It just makes you stop and take a whole look at everything that has gone on with your life. And it did. And so God and I did a whole lot of talking, you know, and Jesus is like your your best friend. And so it just started bringing me back to my relationship with Christ. And we just started talking more, started reading my Bible more and, you know, trying to just, I don't want to blame any, you know, cause that's the first thing we do as humans. We just want to blame somebody for our problems or blame it on this or blame it on that, you know, and it's, it's like, no, yes, it was allowed to happen, but there's always something that we can look at that comes at it. We may not see it at the time, but, and I do now, I see a lot of things now and it still may not be the real purpose of what, you know, God had planned, but I know that he's in control of that. And, and I had to stay really positive. The doctors even were like, your biggest battle is going to be your mind and overcoming the things and the obstacles, because I was told I still may not, still may lose my three and a half months. We didn't know if I was going to keep my foot. I may always have a limp. I made this, I mean, you know, and then, you know, me, I knew that my fiance and I weren't kind of jiving and that kind of thing. And that there were things that were going on, um, that I knew something was wrong. And because we were actually going to talk that day when I got home. And, um, so there was a lot of things, you know, and, and when I say that spiritually, mentally, physically, in every way, financially, I lost my truck. My truck was repossessed because I couldn't work. I, you know, everything. I was starting a new business because I was about to start my own virtual assistant business. There was so much going on in my life. And then all of a sudden, everything is turned upside down completely. And and I've always been a big person that's, you know, life's too short kind of motto and, you know, always try to be positive. Well, the doctors were like, you got to stay, stay positive and, you know, don't let this thing do meltdowns that I had. One, I was completely by myself and I was looking around at the living room at my new norm and, um, and I broke down and I broke down and I cried and I cried and I just said, God, whatever the reason is, please stand me back on my feet again and, you know, show me what it is I need, you know, show me, you know, 
And the doctors will tell you every time he, my doctor would say, every time you come in here, I expect for you to be at this level and you would come in and you'd be over top of that level of where I would expect you to be. And so the first time that I was able to put pressure on my foot and he had me stand in the office, he had all of his nurses, everybody in the hallways, look, look at her, look at her. I mean, it was just so exciting and it was amazing, you know, and two, that had to sink in. It also had to sink in that I, you know, not the fact that I almost died. It was the fact that I was put back together and I was, you know, learning to walk again and learning so many things and trying to take it all in and process it. So the aha of all of that was still continuing, but it was like, you know, he saved me. So I can always say, oh, he saved me from this horrible wreck, but he goes way further than that. And it goes on because it brought a lot of my life and things that happened in my life. I had time to process because I I ran so many times and run away from things. And so this particular thing kind of made me face things head on. It made me look at where my life was with my fiance at the time, what was going on with me spiritually, what was going on with me physically and mentally and emotionally. And it just started making me look and instead of bowing down, giving in, crying to all of it as I have before, or running away from it and not looking at it and seeing and facing the problems, this started making me look at those. And so when I say for full circle, it, it did bring me full circle because my fiance and I broke up during this process. It's, you know, seven months in, he didn't just leave me. He just decided he didn't want to get married and he wanted to go on separate ways. And, and I just knew that I wanted to do things right and I needed to heal. And if this wasn't a part of it, then I had to face that. And so again, there was something else that I was having to face along with physical healing. And then also just trying to just hold it all in and be positive. And that's hard to do. There are so many times it is so hard to do, you know, because like I said, it made me think about the past and, you know, because I have, you know, pregnant when I was 15 years old. I was molested from the time I was eight till I was 12 by a distant. You think about that, you know, and I, I was raised in the church. I was a good family, wonderful parents that raised me very well. And, but uh, things and obstacles, you know, so at 15 years old, you know, here I am, you know, looking for what I thought was going to protect me per se, you know, because I had had things happen in my life at such a young age, being touched and fondled and, you know, told ugly stuff and, and all throughout my life. And so I thought that was going to protect me. And then, and then here I was, well, little did I know that, you know, after I got pregnant, you know, I got married because that was what you were supposed to do back then. Yeah, and you, you said married, your parents married, actually, you know. yeah, you said your parents actually were okay with it. They wanted you to get married. Well, my parents, oh, they were brokenhearted. Don't get me wrong. They were brokenhearted, but they wanted us to do, you know, the right thing. Mm-hmm. My parents, you know, they are my angels in my life because they were always, you know, my rescuer. And, and so that, you know, cause I didn't want to leave. You know, I didn't want to go live nowhere else. I wanted my mama. I was 15, Mm -hmm. you know, and about to have a baby because there was no way I was going to abort my child. And so he did. He married me and we had a beautiful baby girl. And, and after she was born, we moved out into our own place and thought things were going great in life. And then 
the abuse started. Mm -hmm. And when I say abuse, I don't mean verbal. I mean physical abuse. And it was, um, you know, I've actually spoke with young teen moms and to young uh, women who are in battered situations and stuff through ministry about mine and being able to get out and what to look for and and all of that but it you know two children later and a beating that was for no reason it was to control and you know the jealousy I didn't have a vehicle I didn't have my license even get my license until I was 18 years old because I didn't I couldn't drive anywhere I was I was in a you know bubble And I didn't want to tell my parents, just like I didn't want to tell them I was being molested, just like, you know, because in that day and time, that stuff, it was looked at totally different, you know? And so I was made up excuses and all of that kind of stuff of what was happening until, until we finally, we had to move back in with my parents. And then there was my confidence. There were my saviors. They, you know, helped me, you know, to be able to realize, you know, I knew I was safe there. And so I was able to get out of that abusiveness and, you know, and of course life took me on to, to get into relationships and, failed marriages, you know, because you, you know, you're young and you want these things and you think you're on those right roads. So there's a lot of decisions that, you know, that I made that were wrong decisions and, you know, and you have to face that, you know, at the time you may not realize that they're wrong, but there were flags and there are red rat flags that, and have never just blamed everything on, okay, I was molested. Okay. I was beaten. Okay. But I was, but I never made excuses you know, for it. I was one of those that I could have turned to drugs. I could have turned to the streets. I could have turned to alcohol. I could have turned to any of that, but I didn't. And not to say that I didn't have my, my days of, you know, trying to drink a little more alcohol than I should have. And, but I know in deep in my heart now that Jesus had a plan. And I think that there are times that we have to figure out on our journeys We have to go through these struggles because they are what makes us stronger. And I do remember I started leading this ministry at my church and I remember stepping into that role and, and I had this lady who was a Bible study teacher and she had always said, you just never know who you're going to help with your stories. So you, you have to be able to share. Cause I was thinking, gosh, my testimony pregnant at 15, you know, this, that, you know, how can I share that kind of stuff? Then God started working again, explaining, and I started getting deeper into things. And I was amazed at the people that come into my life through just sharing stories on Wednesday night Bible studies and where they needed to hear that you can overcome, you can get through these broken things. And then I went through a very, very bad failed marriage because he was the praise team leader. I was the ladies ministry director. I thought life was so good at that point in my life. Yeah. You thought and, that um, now, and- that now you had it right. You've overcome, you've got this yep. what looks to be perfect. Good job security. You're in the church that you grew yes. up in and you're thinking everything's great. And you have the three children now and life is good, you think. And then what? Yeah, I did. And well, you know, I like to say, you know, then Satan come in, <laughs> but life. Oh no. Life happened. Life and happened. so there was infidelity and he had, uh, he had an affair and uh, with my best friend and his best friend's wife. 
And, and so it was really pulled in front of the church. And so the people of the church and the pastor and, and all, there was just a lot of brokenness and, you know, and that, that was told to step down from the ministry so I could work on my marriage. And you can't work on a marriage when somebody's moved out of your home and moved in and has another woman in their life. And I was, I was begging God. I mean, you just don't know. I would pray over the pictures. I was praying, God, please don't let this happen. And, you know, wake this up, you know, I didn't understand. And so I want to tell you, I was angry. I was so angry at God. And then I started running away. I didn't just lose, you know, my ex-husband. I lost my best friend. I lost friends of the church because people were so, you know, nobody knew what to do. The pastor was not standing up and for me and what was going on because, I mean, these people were at our home every weekend because of praise team. It was just, you know, so I lost a lot of my church family. And so I, I didn't feel protected anymore. And I was angry because I just felt like, God, I was doing everything. I was leading ladies ministry and I was in your word and I was working hard and loving people. And I was doing, I was walking my wall, you know, and that was when I learned about free will. It was later in life that, you know, I started learning about how to forgive people and how to all that kind of stuff. So during my running, God teaches you many, many things. I made lots of bad choices during that running period, but God uses everything. You know, he uses bad things for the good. And so what did you do? So you, you find I, out uh, your husband's now your ex-husband, but he was cheating on you. You lost pretty much the life that you were so happy to find. I ran away and I ran. You went to Tennessee. I ran to Tennessee. Why'd you go to Tennessee? I, yep. I left everything I knew. This is Georgia was where I grew up. And this was everything, but I didn't want to, I was just surrounded by people who loved me. And I felt like I was in another world. I never, you know, it was extremely hard. And I hooked up with a good friend of mine who I got into a relationship with and I moved to Tennessee because that's where he lived. And his mother, which was like a second mother to me growing up at the time. And, you know, and it was like, hey, you want to move up here and get away from it all? And it was like, yay. So she says, you know, you want to get away from it all? And I'm just like, you know what? Yep. Yep, I sure do. And at that point, I'm almost like a little kid just determined to do the opposite of what you should do. Didn't realize that at the time, but I so face that now. Now, grant you, I met wonderful people. I have best friends. I fell in love again. I, you know, there, I got so many wonderful things during this journey. The Lord gave me my accounting degree. I have two wonderful best friends that live in Tennessee that I still go see. My ex-boss being one, I got to learn so much from him and the, the, so many skills to add to my resume. I was, you know, and that's the thing. I was making good money there. I had a lot of career opportunities that just doors just opened for me there. And I still say that that was part of God's plan because it still gives me so much in my arsenal now, even though I was running and not, you know, where I really should have been, you know, but it took me there. And, you know, my family, they, you know, they were glad for me because there were so many different things that were, were opened up at first. They were broken. My oldest daughter, especially was just broken that I had left and, but I had to leave everything I knew, everything that was comfortable to me, everything that was safe, everything I had to run. And, well, I didn't have to, but I ran, mm -hmm. I ran from it all. 
And I say that with tears in and all because it's like that. It's like I felt that so strongly to leave. But God showed me because it brought me back, you know, and it, it took six years, six years of my life with running and, you know, more heartbreak than physical breaks to get me back to the humbleness of knowing that I'm where I belong and I'm with my family and I'm able, my parents, you know, we live together and I get to help them uh, going through stages of, you know, physical ailments and different things. And, you know, my mom is my best friend and my daughters and my son. I mean, you know, we've just, I think that it taken me away from them. It caused us to be able to be closer now because they realized what life was without mom being able to be there. Um, And I realized too, what I was missing, having that closer relationship with them. So like I said, the full circle, my life was just so things come before me during this past year and making me realize that even through everything and almost losing my life has brought me to that point of knowing that I'm going to be okay and I cannot run anymore. R- literally, I cannot run. <laughs> yeah, that too. <laughs> literally speaking, I cannot run. My foot and leg will not allow me, but mentally, I don't want to run. Let I don't me want ask to run you away. a question. Yeah, let me I ask you a question, run. Janice. You were settled in Tennessee for all practical purposes, six years. And do you think that if you hadn't had that accident, you would have come back? You know, I do because I say that because before the accident, there were things that, you know, I was supposed to be married in May of that year. We had decided to get married, but I knew Christmas, there was just little things that weren't right. And so New Year's, it was just like, well, you know, we got to talk. And I was at a place where I was about to start a, you know, a new business and this, and there were just a lot of red flags. And so in my mind, I was already starting to face red flags. And so I think it would have took a whole lot longer Mm -hmm. for me. I really do because I'm such a deep hearted person. And I think that I knew things and God was trying to show them to me. So it could have been another couple of years. So I think that is part of that net going, no, this doesn't need to continue. I'm not saying that is why the accident happened. I just know that it made me look at it a whole lot deeper. And again, I could do the woe is me, you know, he didn't want to get married, you know, and I could have just stayed there and and went into an even more dead end relationship and kept going until when, until, you know, did I have to have enough, you know, that's where the aha comes in to me. Mm-hmm. It's, it's like it, it forced me to go ahead and keep looking at things that needed to change. And so do I think I would have? I definitely think I would have, but I think it would have would have took a lot longer for me to get to that point. And then again, you don't know what would have happened in that year. It could have been even more, you know, mental terror, you know, and I had already been praying. I was on my way. When I had my accent, I literally was praying to for God to give me the words to speak 
And so I was already on that journey back home. So do I feel like that that's the reason? No, but I do think that it seals that reason. And I do think it gives me more to look at where I could get a whole picture of, you know, wanting to look at my life. I used to always say I was going to write a book and I may still write that book because I want, I want other women to know that you can be so broken, but you can still have peace in your heart and you can still overcome the life's struggles, no matter what they are. Because I still, like I told you the other day, I still am working through healing. I still have a lot of healing, physical healing, but I also have a broken heart and I still got healing to do with that. But I also have a smile on my face and I also have more peace and there's not that will to go, how do I fix this? How do I do this? You know, we always want to fix it and make everything better. But I've learned to walk through that struggle and go, okay, what is it I need to focus on? You know, and it's okay to cry those tears and it's okay to just not know what's going to be the next moment or the next day. It's okay to have those moments, but it's like wipe off those tears and know everything is going to get better. It will, you know, no matter what those things are, no matter if it's losing a job and if it's losing this or losing the ability to walk natural again and all of those things, you know, and and love again and, and all. I just look at it that life has brought me and the good Lord has brought me full circle. And if I can sit down and these stories, I tell you, they could be so much deeper. We are just touched oh, right I know. on the little tip ends of them yeah. of what we've gone through. And, but sharing that, you know, with someone who is broken and trying to walk through something, you know, just having, first of all, that relationship with Christ, because that is the number one. And I still do it today that, you know, when things aren't, you know, quite that way, or my heart's a little down, or I'm really hurting really bad in my leg, or, you know, whatever it may be, I just sit there for, you know, Lord, just give me that peace you know, give me that reason to open my eyes. Give me that reason that it's, you know, just let me know everything's. And he tells us, just come to me. I'll give you rest. Come to me. And I do. And I would hope that I could always be able to give that encouragement and to let someone else know, to be that encourager to yourself, not just to someone else. But I feel like that's always been a gift of mine is to be encourage other people. And I mean, I had a friend of mine say one time, you have so much and, you know, I don't even want to worry you. And it's like, oh, please give it to me, you know, please, because they they don't realize that you need that just as much. You need them just as much as they need you. And so again, you know, I'm just honored to share my story with you and with those who are going to listen. Well, let me ask you this. Wow. So here you are now, you're allowing, you have a relationship back with Christ and you're able to overcome when you get down, you're able to overcome it. What is your go-to now? What is next for Janice? Why are you sharing with us on the second wind? You found your second wind. What's next? How, how do we move forward with that? Well, first of all, day by day and sometimes minute by minute, but I'll tell you, I have learned through, through this, that baby steps are for certain, but it's made me open my eyes to I thrive when I led ladies ministry. 
because I worked with so many, I had so many opportunities to meet with women on so many different levels. And I enjoyed that. So I have been praying a lot about the journey that God wants me to be on. And I really am seriously uh, contemplating on writing my book. Also, you know, starting like a small study with women online and seeing who wants to start that type of thing. Um, I just feel like God has a plan for me in that area of encouragement. I just want to see where he takes me with that. So I don't quite know what that is, but I just know that I'm ready and willing and able (laughs) to take that journey of where he wants me to. So I love that. And you you told me you're so much happier now than you've ever been. I am. I have my moments. Use that word peace. Yes. I have a peace of knowing that no matter what goes on, that I'm okay and that it's going to be okay and that it can process. And, you know, I have my lonely moments. I have my tearful moments, but they're nothing like they used to be. They're not just all consuming because I'm able to process it. And I'm able to, you know, I have a tear-stained Bible, do not get me wrong, Mm -hmm. but I am able to just hold it in a whole different manner than before where I was just, I would give in or I would just, why me, Lord, why me, Lord, why me? My why me's now would be, you know, you sure you want me to lead that ministry? (laughs) I remember saying those things to him before, but now I just know that I'm at a, a heartfelt place to, I want to do the right things for myself, for my health, for me emotionally, physically. And then the same thing in life, applying that same principle to every day, whether it's here at work or at home or with my grandchildren or my children, anything and everything, you know, I want to be that um, where they look at me and they see how much I have overcome in life and they know they can overcome things and not have that same, you know, where you just drowned in it and you drown in the bad. Because I can tell you that if you just can think positive through some of it, it is amazing. You can stare at the ugly and be like, okay, you're not going to be there forever. Mm -hmm. And you just feel better. There's just a, you know, that's what I mean by that piece. It is, um, it's wonderful again. And even if I went home tonight and had one of those lonely moments of, you know, okay, you know, where am I going to do? So when like, when you ask me, what am I going to do from here? It's every day, you know, choosing to be positive every day, choosing to put Christ first in my life and just watching and paying attention to where he really wants me to be because I know that's going to be the best road. I've took enough bad ones. So yeah, <laughs> and, and you're you know, open. So it's uh, that whole surrendering. It's that whole surrendering, listening, yes. being yes. open yes. to what comes your way. And that's that's such being a big teachable, lesson. Is what I like to say. Yeah. It's such yeah, a big being lesson. teachable, having that teachable spirit is such a wonderful thing because when you lay this all out, when we're stubborn and when we're, you know, headstrong, like I was at, you know, running and stuff like that, 
you know, you're never too far gone. And that's such an important thing. You know, I made a lot of mistakes and I, you know, at first I was just like, oh God, oh God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. And I still say that at times, but you know, it's the wonderful thing about grace. And I am, he has just poured his mercy and his grace on me. And I want to share that. I so want to share that with others. Well, I'll tell you right now, Janice, I do believe that you have a book in you. I even said to you before you told me you wanted to write a book, before you even knew about the podcast, I said, wow, I think you have a book in you. (laughs) And I think that it's time for you to start writing that book. I also think that your idea of going online and offering like a support group for maybe women in situations that you've been in, how can that not be of service? How can that not be something that will just inspire you and help others? I just see that being such a great thing. We're going to talk about that and get that going for you. And I truly believe that all these experiences that we go through are for a reason so that we can help others and be of service to others. And I just want to thank you so much for your time today. We've tried to get this interview together for quite a while and I so appreciate your time and thank you for sharing Janice. I really appreciate it. Oh no, thank you. I'm so honored to be able to share with you and for you to put it out there for others. I appreciate it. I am so inspired by you and your podcast and, and just you in general as a friend and the way this all come about, it just, it's so inspiring. And I just, I pray that this will go as far as it can to help others and inspire others. So thank you, Wendy. Thank you so much, girl. Thank you, Janice. And until next time, breathe in your second wind. Thank you for listening today. I hope that something you heard made you smile, made you think, and made you feel. If these incredible stories empowered you, awakened you, or left you feeling inspired, make sure to share with a friend and write us a review on iTunes so we can continue to change lives through this content. Make sure you tag us while you're listening on our Facebook group, My Second Wind, or hit the link in the show notes to join the conversation. Until next time, Go ahead and breathe in your second wind.